You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Welcome you back. And so we're glad that you're here. If you've joined in online, maybe someone shared it in their newsfeed and you're watching along. We're glad that you're there too. Uh, if you came in afterwards, my name is Brian. I serve as the pastor of Citrus. Uh, and, and I love Christmas Eve. That's probably not going to surprise anyone for me to say. But I always feel like Christmas Eve is just rich with anticipation. And it's not just because of all the wonderful things that we've experienced in the last month. It's not just because of all the parties and and all the excitement. I think that's a lot of it. It's the songs and lighting the candles. But I think, young and old alike, a lot of the Christmas anticipation is because of tomorrow morning. Am I right? Right. Who is looking forward to Christmas morning, right? All right, now, young and old alike, how many of you have made Christmas lists? Christmas list, wish list, Amazon wish lists? Okay. Well, I think that's the thing, is, is so much of the anticipation of Christmas Eve is what are we going to find tomorrow morning under the tree? What are the things we're hoping for? What are the things that we're going to be surprised by? What is the gift that someone gave us or that we give to someone else that just really meets them in that moment and is exactly what they wanted. You see, our wish lists, no matter our age, represent different things. They say a lot about our hopes, about our dreams, about the things we want. And I think for a lot of us, there's always that one important thing, right? That one main thing. I want to share with you something that was on my wish list. Uh, This was back in the 90s, so just a little while ago. It seems like five years ago in my head, but I think it's been longer. Uh, This was the top of my wish list one year. Anybody else? This was the 72-pack. None of that 48 stuff. The 72-pack of Crayola Crowns. It was a plastic case, so you could flip the front down. And how many of you know what this piece on the side was with the arrow? The built-in sharpener, right? So that one year was on the top of my list, and running downstairs, I found it there for me. I mean, that was the gift I was hoping for. I did a little research to try to find out what was the gift this year. Uh, Last year was something different, and one of the things I heard this year was that it was this plush toy. How many of you know Bluey? I'm sucked in, too. It's wonderful. Uh, But this plush toy of Bandit and Chili, Bluey's mom and dad is from Australia, so I have to say mom. And this is one of the hard ones to find, but maybe that's on your wish list. But what I've learned also is that as we age and as we grow up, our lists change. And so I want to share something with you that's on my list this year. It's not as exciting as a bunch of crowns. It's, it's not quite as exciting as a plush toy. I'm really hoping for these. I mean, is anybody else really excited for a pair of socks? Like, I hope that these smart wool, wool socks end up under the tree somehow. I'm very excited about these. Hopefully someone is coming through for me on these. We'll see. But that's the thing about wish lists, is they say something important about what matters to us. Obviously, what matters to me is warm feet and comfort, right? They say something about what consumes our thoughts and what our hopes and our focus is on. And so tonight, as we look at the story in the Bible, the story of that first Christmas, the story of the birth of Jesus, we're going to look at two different wish lists that pop up in the story. And as I read it in just a minute, I want to give you a heads up, because I want to invite you to listen to the things that might have been on these wish lists. On one hand, you've got Emperor Caesar Augustus. And as we'll see in the scripture, there's some things that are important to him. 
And on the other side in the scripture, Mary and Joseph. And they've got a different set of hopes and desires on their wish list. And so I want to invite you to listen as we read the story. I'll begin in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And Jason, if you'll follow along with me. In those days, Caesar Augustus declared that everyone throughout the empire should be enrolled in the tax lists. This first enrollment occurred when Quirinius governed Syria. Everyone went to their own cities to be enrolled. And since Joseph belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to David's city called Bethlehem in Judea. He went to be enrolled together with Mary, who was promised to him in marriage, and who was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son, wrapped him snugly, and laid him in the manger, because there was no place for them in the guest room. This is the story that we gather around each year. And the first thing that comes up is the list that Caesar Augustus made. Now, obviously, this wasn't something maybe that was written out. But here's some of the things that seemed important to Caesar at that time. Top three on his wish list. Money from taxes. More military. And a bigger empire. And, of course, we know this just from reading this and from history because one of the things that was kind of new and being established was this idea of the census. We understand the census, but at that time, the census was a way of counting the total population so that Caesar could make sure that everybody paid just the right amount of taxes. And part of the reason for that was not just for more money, but it gave him an accurate headcount of the Roman provinces. You see, part of what Rome was doing was expanding that bigger empire thing. And one of the ways they did that was by conscripting people living in the Roman provinces. It's easier to conscript people into the military when you know how many people there are. Now, a lot of the land of Palestine where Jesus uh, was born and where the family lived was exempt. The Jews were exempt because of uh, agreements that had been made. But at this time, when Caesar's doing the census, these are the things on his wish list. It's not a pair of smart wool socks. He's thinking bigger. Money, empire, and military. And so I want to ask us the question, what does this say to us about Caesar's priorities, about his hopes, about his desires? And I want to contrast it with what I think could have been on Mary and Joseph's wish list. Get to Bethlehem safely, find a place to stay, have a safe delivery. Maybe not have a little boy with a bunch of drums show up in the manger and do like a drum solo, right? Maybe that would come later. But, but I think these are the things, that, and for those who've gone through the pregnancy and the birth experience, I think a lot of these are kind of top on the list. It's a very practical wish list. Safety, a place to stay, and a safe delivery. And while the Bible doesn't tell us this, I think that these were probably the things that were on the forefront of Mary and Joseph's mind. It was a practical Christmas. And of course, they were traveling at a very inopportune time, not because they wanted to, but because of Caesar Augustus' wish list. Because of what he wanted from the census, they were traveling at a bad time. And so their needs would have to wait, and other priorities would become more important. And as we hear the story of Christmas, it seems to me that Mary and Joseph, and indeed the entire world, seemed like they were at the mercy of Caesar. Right? Their lives were shaped by his wish list. But the thing I like about this 
is as Luke is writing this story, it's obviously he knows where this story is going because he's writing it and he knows where he's going to take it. And I picture as he's beginning to put pen to paper and whatever that looked like, a smile begins to form on his mouth as he writes this story. Because he knows that it starts with Caesar's wish list, but that the rest of the story is going to go in a very different direction. And for once, the one who is usually the hero and the one talked about the emperor would not be the focus. The focus would be on a family that no one knew, on a child born in obscurity. And I think Luke must have been smiling because he knew that this entire story was about to flip itself on its head. And I wonder if even he could imagine how this would change generations to come, even up until today. And that's what's surprising to me about this story, the story of the manger. It's got this weird movement that goes from the universal ideas of Caesar all the way down to this very particular family. It's got this big idea of empire, and then it brings the story down to little old Bethlehem. It's got this figure which is godlike, Caesar, but shifts the focus from there right down to these peasants. And, you know, we might ask ourselves, if we were living in those times, if we were to kind of compare and contrast which of these stories, where might the God of the cosmos, the God of the universe, show up in a story like this? And if we're just being honest, we would expect that God would show up in the empire, in the universal, in the big stuff. We would expect that God would run with world players, with empire builders, with the wealthy, and with the socially elite. Because isn't it still true in our day that the more power and prestige, the more importance and responsibility you have, the less accessible you become to others? Think about how we see this taking place in the world today. The more responsibility someone has, the more they're insulated. And so for people who are um, maybe celebrities or they're famous, they have security guards to keep the general public away, right? Athletes have the same. Others have VPs and managers of different kind to kind of shelter the rest of the company or the group from the boss. It seems the more power and authority and responsibility you have, the less you become accessible to the masses, to the peasants. And so we might expect that when God shows up in the world, that God would be born in an emperor's palace, that God would find a place here, that God would begin to insulate God's self from all these other people. And yet, it doesn't happen that way. And as familiar as this story is to us, I hope that this surprises us again and again this year. How exciting that God flips the script when sending the promised Savior into the world. The first to know are the least. The last to know are the powerful and the prestigious. You see, I hope the birth of Jesus reminds us in a fresh way this year that God is a God of unexpected surprises. Unexpected surprises. And so that's what I want to talk about a little bit tonight is how God works in the world. Because we think it's going to be one way, and it's oftentimes an opposite way. In a commentary on Luke, uh, Joel Green points out this idea, that Luke seems to have this idea that Rome and Caesar and the almighty emperor are the ones who are in charge. But of course, what's happening in this passage is God is shifting that over. No longer would it be Caesar who is the focus. And this is upsetting at this time. 
Because I want to remind us that Caesar wasn't just some kind of political entity. Caesar took on for himself the name of Lord. Caesar would have been called a Lord just as Jesus did. Caesar called himself a savior of the people. And so I want to remind us that these terms that we use very freely of Lord and Savior were the same ones Caesar applied to himself. And so the contrast couldn't be more different of how God's working in the world between these. And just when we think that it's Caesar who's controlling everything, that it's the powers that be that are controlling everything and moving everything around, we see that, in fact, God is using these powers to bring about something radically different and new in the world. In fact, something redemptive. Caesar would later find that he wasn't the one in charge, that there was one greater than him, one greater than Rome. And so this is the plot twist that begins right here in Luke chapter 2. And so I hope Christmas reminds us that God's work is surprising. And it's surprising to us because it shows up in ways that we don't expect. I want to remind us in the beginning of the scriptures, in the beginning of history, humanity was in relationship with God. But because we always think that we know better, humans begin to break relationship with God. We rebel. We decide to choose a different way. We decide to kind of strike out on our own. And essentially, we say to God, hey, we got this. We can do this on our own. And really from Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the entire story of humanity moving away becomes God chasing after us to bring us back. Humans have always chosen of our free will in every generation to say to God, we got this. We don't need your help. We can achieve our dreams and our desires without you. And I think a lot of times we think of that as like a snub to God, like, like I got this, God, like I don't need you. But if we're honest... I think a lot of times it's like we're like the children who want to say to our parents, I got this. I can do this on my own. Like, let me show you what I've learned, what I can do. We want to prove to God that we're big. Like, we've grown up. We can take on responsibility. We can get things done. We can save ourselves. You know the surprising part? Sometimes we do. Right? Like, sometimes we do. We bring it together. We make it happen. We're able to advance, we're able to move forward, we're able to bring things into our lives that, that make it better and into our community and into our country and into our world. And we can sit back and we can say, God, like, look what I've done. Isn't this really great? I moved up, I advanced, look at me. I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't say that sometimes I feel that same thing too, to say, you know, like, look, God, I've taken what you've given me and I've made something of it. When we come to Christmas, what I realize is that a lot of times what I'm paying attention to is mostly my own effort, and I forget to pay attention to the ways that God was working in all that stuff the entire time, too. In the same, time, in the same way that those of us with children understand that, yes, they did this on their own, someone behind the scenes helped out a whole lot, but we'll let them kind of take this one. Sometimes I forget that there's someone behind the scenes actively working in my life and in your life to bring together the good, to bring together the relationships and the people that make life matter the most. And what I'm saying is that God is oftentimes not loud and boisterous like we might expect from the emperor. God shows up in quiet, insignificant ways, and a lot of times is simply content to allow us to pretend like we did it all ourselves. 
If Christmas reminds us of anything, it's to slow down, to look around, and to see the ways as best we can that God is at work all around us and within us. After all, God sent his son in a seemingly insignificant way, not into the emperor's palace, but into a a humble manger. God's son didn't get wrapped up in a fine linen cloth trimmed with gold and with fine purple, but in, in literal strips of cloth that was all that they had. Maybe some of you have uh, had your babies in one of these right here. When the, when the Savior of the world, the God of the universe, showed up, he didn't get uh, three position adjustments and, and vibrations that, that simulate the womb. And when God showed up in the world, it was in a feeding trough that probably looked a lot like this one here with the person there for reference. But this was God's way of doing it. Because God wanted to come into the world in a different way and wanted to be among the people. God didn't want a whole bunch of of things between us and God. God doesn't need to be insulated from you and me. God can handle us. God loves us. And so for us today, Christmas reminds us that there is a divine guide who's working behind the scenes to bring love and hope and joy and peace into the world and into our lives. This is God's grace at work. And so this is a reminder to me that God's actions invite us to look deeper, to pay closer attention. And I think, honestly, that's really hard to do in this season, isn't it? We had a a grow group together in the last month, and someone mentioned in that group, it's a lot easier to pay attention to the negative. It doesn't mean there's more negative. It just means that's easier for us to focus on. And I realize that's true, because we've had a lot of things to be negative about a continued pandemic, conflict at all levels of relationships and throughout the world, a lack of care for the future and even for the future of our planet. I mean, you name an area in the world today, and it just seems a lot more negative than perhaps it used to be. And it's easy for us to look at these things and say, like, God, like, like what's going on? Sometimes it takes us stepping back remembering that God is a God who works in quiet and often unseen ways, and most often through us. And so in a year or two when we've experienced a brokenness in our relationships, economically, racially, socially, I want to remind us that the same almighty creator who sent their son Jesus into the world to bring God's wish list of love and hope and joy and peace is still just as much at work today and with us as ever before. So Christmas reminds us that God is not the cause of all that is negative in the world, but God jumps into the midst of those places to bring about redemption. And as much as I wish redemption fixed everything that was broken, a lot of times redemption is bringing something new from the broken, bringing healing from the pain, bringing something different than was before, but which we can still call good. What does that look like in your life this year? Where are you hoping for redemption? And Christmas invites us to pay close attention to God because his ways are quiet and surprising and subversive. And so the baby in the manger was God's wish list. Augustus didn't see it, but the shepherds did. Rome wouldn't celebrate it, but a few people in a stable did. 
And what I'm saying is, is when we pause and slow down, we can see more clearly what God's up to. I hope that tonight, in this moment, can be a pause and a slow down. And when we do see it, the hope of what can be, of love made real, of peace with justice, of joy that resides in our soul, maybe we can say, it's you, God. I see you. I see you now. So I want to close with my two favorite verses in the Christmas story. These ones come from Mary after all this has happened around her. And Mary says this. Mary committed all these things to memory and considered them carefully. The shepherds returned home, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything happened just as they had been told. So let us be like Mary, who commits these things to memory, who considers them carefully. Let us be like the shepherds who return to our homes with the excitement and anticipation of tomorrow morning, glorifying and praising God for all that we've seen. So I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and invite you to pay attention in these next few days for God's surprising and redemptive work. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.